Man, I, I remember seeing people's lives radically changed. I, I don't know if you've ever seen that. Uh, I, I remember uh, back when I was a, a, a teenager, a, a young teenager, a buddy of mine, I didn't know him before. Um, I, I don't even know. I can't even remember how he came to know the Lord. But he, he became a Christian. He started coming to our church. And, uh, and then he became a, a, an unbelievable witness for the Lord. And he went to one of the toughest, meanest schools in the area. Um, it, it was called Goose Creek High School back then. I guess it's still there. Um, yeah, Goose Creek. Um, I'm sorry. Uh, that's real near Duck Ditch, in case you don't know. Um, but came this very vocal witness for the Lord. And, and at his school was this, this guy. He was a third-degree black belt in taekwondo, uh, a fighter. He was, he was about 130 pounds. And uh, at, his, at that school, the football team would line up as you left the cafeteria and a kid like me come out, they'd start pushing you between them, you know, back and forth and making fun. And uh, Larry told me, Freddie was the, the friend's name, the, the guy that became a, that, that he witnessed to. He said, Freddie would step out that door and the football team would take a step back. And said, he'd walk down the middle and go, y'all want to mess with me? Come on. He was a black militant. He was an African-American kid. He had a big old afro. Remember, this is the 70s. You kids can look it up on YouTube or something. <laughs> Big old afro, little beady glasses, and his head was down like this. And first time he ever came to our church, he walked in the door. Larry got him to come to church. And, uh, when, and, and that school was, I mean, where he lived was about 30 minutes away. And so he asked an older gentleman where the restroom was. And the gentleman said, you can go out that door there and point to the exit door. Yeah. And, you know, to his credit, he didn't hit him. Um, and... To his, also to his credit, he didn't leave. He stayed. He, and then as, as God began to transform his life, man, his hair got shorter. His head came up. That frown turned into a smile. But Larry told me, I asked him, I said, what made you brave enough to witness to Freddie? He said, I didn't know who he was. He said, I said, well, tell me about it. He said, well, we were out, you know, in the yard after lunch. We're all standing around in the, you know, community yard. I don't know how y'all do it now, but we used to hang out. You know, you got your smoking section and your, all that. So Larry walks up to Freddie and says, Freddie, man, you need Jesus. And he'd been witness to Freddie a, a lot already. And Freddie said, all right, I, I think you're right. And he said, uh, he said, all right, well, let's pray. And he said, do I have to do it here? And he said, if you're ashamed of Jesus here, he'll be ashamed of you in heaven. Freddie said, all right, let's pray. So they got on their knees and he said, all of a sudden you could hear the people around going, look, Freddie's on his knees. Hey, Fred, Freddie's praying. Look. And they started laughing at Freddie. He said, Freddie stood up and said, hey, this ain't funny. They went, sorry, Freddie. He said, all right, let's get saved. He got down there. He asked Jesus into his life. And I'm just telling you, man, that guy changed. It was radical. In the late 70s, uh, you may know the, the music group Kansas and and uh, I, I was just listening to this testimony last night because the lead uh, songwriter and the guitarist there for that group, Kerry Livgreen, wrote most of the songs. And he said he was a member of the F Philosophy of the Month Club. Whatever was coming, he was just looking for truth. And one day he got, he got to know Jesus and he got saved. And he was so excited about it. He wanted to start writing songs about Christ. And, and he did in the lead singer, Kansas. He said he'd write about anything I wrote, like Dust in the Wind. He said, that's American Indian philosophy. He said I, he, would do, he would sing anything until I wrote about Jesus. And he wouldn't sing those. 
So the guy quit the band. So they hired a Christian singer. <laughs> but right after he got saved, he, he, he produced an album. He got a solo contract so, so that he could. And he produced an album called Seeds of Change. And he said his goal was to make it the best album possible. He wanted the best musicians, best singers. So he didn't care if they were saved or not as long as they do what he asked them to do. So he asked the lead singer of Black Sabbath to sing, um, it's called Masquerade of the Deceiver and I'll Live for the King. And the guy did. <laughs> and he had to live with Carrie while he did it and he got saved. <laughs> yeah. And the bass player in their band, his brain was blown away by dope. And he got saved. God restored his mind. He's a pastor in Florida right now. God's gospel will radically change your life. And Paul was such a man, and Paul never got over it. And these last two chapters in Acts, man, we're, we're going to rush through. Uh, I won't get to read very much. Uh, let, let me read the last two verses in the book of Acts. You can stand up if you want to. Uh, you've been up and down a lot lately, uh, but you can go ahead and do that. Here's the conclusion of the book of Acts. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. I used to think the book of Acts stopped very suddenly. That used to confuse me. But it ends saying what Paul has been doing and sort of says it like dot, dot, dot. It's going to keep happening. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you that Paul was faithful to the witness that you gave him, that he worshiped you, he exalted you, he preached your word. And God, may we do the same in Jesus' name. Amen. I, I, I love music, and I'm a frustrated musician because I can't sing, I can't play. I can just appreciate people that can. But what is most important to me are the lyrics uh, when it comes to music. I love, I love the different forms and styles and, and the sound of music. But, but the words are what's important, especially for Christians. And, and there was another guy that, that uh, he was saved and he wrote songs about Christ. And he got a lot of criticism like Paul. And he wrote this song called Shot Down. He said, I've been shot down, talked about. Some people scandalized my name, but here I am. Talking about Jesus just the same. That's what was Paul. Paul was like that. Paul just kept talking about the Lord over and over and over and over again. And in these last two chapters, we see Paul and his leadership. Paul has been, God has been working in his life. And suddenly we see Paul, this leader. And I, I want to encourage you uh, today, especially if you're a man, a father, a husband, or you want to be a husband or father one day, to, to develop and, and study and think about what does it mean to lead? Because you are leading whether you know it or not. It's whether you'll be a positive leader or a, or a not so positive leader. And this isn't exclusive for men. Ladies, you are leaders as well. But, but it seems that God has made that men, when men take leadership, that that is a good and positive thing. But but a good leader listens to good advice, and that's why God gave us you <laughs> uh, as wise. Helpers fit for us. As a wife, that's, that is what God designed you to be, and, and you lead as well, and your leadership is important. But, but if men will, will take the bull by the horns, listen to good advice, 
and, and, and lead in a certain way, and I want to just give you a few principles that we see here, then I think God helps us better. So I, I'm talking about a leader in a storm. Paul is going to find himself in these last two chapters in a mess, and the designed leaders, the designated leaders, can't lead. And Paul just rises to this leadership, and we, that's why we learn from it. And here's what I want you to take out of this today. Storms reveal leaders. They don't make leaders, they reveal leaders. There are some people who sit back, it's not my job, you do it, it's your job, you're supposed to be doing it. It's what Paul's doing. Now, in these chapters, just to tell the general story, Paul has been arrested, he's appealed to Caesar, he's got to go to Rome, they're going to put him on a ship, and they're ready to head out, and God tells Paul, this is not going to be a good ship ride, and he, and he lets them know, hey guys, I don't think we ought to put out yet, it's going to get bad, and... They said, no, it's close, but I think we're going to be okay. And they got this nice, soft wind blowing from the south. They said, see, we got a good wind. We're leaving. And Paul's like, this is not going to work out good. But they wouldn't listen to him because why? He's not the leader. He doesn't know what he's talking about, right? He's not a sailor. And, and on that ship that Paul is on, you got a captain of the ship, but you also have a Roman guard that has authority because, you know, Rome ruled everything. It's sort of like a federal agent. He can go anywhere in the United States and enforce the law. Right? Right? Because he's got a badge, federal. I don't have to be in a city, a town, a state, a county. I can go anywhere because I've really approved. Well, these Roman soldiers were like that. So he could tell that captain what to do, and the captain had to do it. So you got these two strong leaders on this one ship, and Paul, this prisoner, this crazy radical preacher saying, Hey, guys, I, you need to think about this. And they're going, No, I don't think we need to think about that. And so they set out to sail, and Paul had been expecting what God said he was going to do. Because you know something? God never says something that he doesn't complete it. Right? Now, has everything God said come to pass yet? No, because Jesus hadn't come back yet. But everything we know about Jesus and everything we know about God lets us know he is coming back. And if you convince yourself that he's not, you do that to your own peril. And I'll tell you why. Because he is coming back, at least for you, in your lifetime. Right? None of you in here are going to live forever. All of us in 100 years will no longer be here. And so sometime between this moment and however many moments I got left, I'm leaving. And I'm going to be standing before Jesus. So he's coming back one way or the other. But he may come back for all of us for then. Who knows? And, and so Paul was expecting what God had said. If you look down in verse 10 of chapter 27, this is in the middle of all this. It says, time had passed. The voyage was dangerous because even the fast was already over. And Paul had been on a fast. He had taken a vow. Now that was over. He said, sirs, verse 10, I perceive the voyage will be with injury and much loss. Not only the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid him no attention. That, that Roman guard paid no attention. And they said, hey, good wind's blowing. Let's take off. Paul had God vision. Paul was looking at like God looked at it. In verse 13, it says, The south wind blew gently, supposing they had obtained their purpose. They weighed anchor and sailed along creek close to the shore. Man, the circumstances are in our favor. Let's act. Paul is not looking at the circumstances. He's backed up and he's listening and looking at the big picture of what God had said. Now, he knows he's got to get to Rome. He just doesn't want to get in a 
shipwreck on the way. But that's exactly what's going to happen, right? God's going to accomplish his purpose. It can be an easy trip or a rough trip, but he's going to get you where he wants you to get. Right? And so when you rebel, when you strike against him, when you try to do it another way, that's when you run into more trouble. But if you run into trouble doing it God's way, you've got the confidence he's going to get you there. You with me? And that's Paul's attitude. And a leader's got to know that. A leader's got to know where is God taking us? What is God expecting of us? What does God want? And then when other things get messed up, when people are looking at circumstances instead of the will of God, start talking, you go, I appreciate what you're saying. I see what you're seeing. But let me tell you, God has said this, and this is how it's got to go if you're a leader. And that's true in your family. A wise man once told me that his wife would look at him when they were in trouble and say, so are you going to be a man and lead us out of this or what? Pretty good. I told my wife that, so she says that to me sometimes when I get all messed up in my head. We'll cover that in a minute. Secondly, I'm always messed up in the head, but when it comes out. Secondly, I want you to remember, Paul remembered God's purpose. I've already been talking about that, but if you look down at verses 21 to 26, is where we kind of focus in on that. They had been without food a long time. Later on, it was, they didn't eat for two weeks because this big old wind blew up. This storm is happening. And Paul says, guys, he couldn't resist. Yeah, I told you, Paul, Paul wasn't perfect. You know, he, 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 he fussed at the high priest. He did some things. And some people think Paul made a bunch of mistakes in here. And I really don't see it that way, but... Some people think he did. He says, I told you not to leave, but, <laughs> you know, he just almost getting out. He said, man, I, I told you, you should have listened to me not to set sail from Crete. And, but now I urge you in verse uh, 22, I urge you to take heart for there will be no life. Paul wants to encourage them. A leader is an encourager. But look why Paul could encourage them. Verse 23, this very night there stood before me an angel, a messenger of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who are with you. He's saying, listen, guys, I'm the key to this enterprise. God has told me I got to go talk to Caesar. And now tonight, he sent a messenger to me to say, Paul, you're going to get to Caesar, and we're going to let everybody on the ship live as long as they stick together. And so he says, so take courage, guys. Don't worry about it. We're going to make it. Now, sometimes people say that. you seen those uh, Geico commercials with Pinocchio? Yeah, exactly. Sometimes when somebody encourages you, you know their nose is just getting longer. They're just desperate. Paul's not desperate. Paul's calm. He's got, guys, listen, you should have listened to me start with. Remember, I told you. What he's actually doing is reminding them, I was accurate then, I'm accurate now. Because even tonight, God has spoken to me again and told me we're going to make it. Now, somebody tells you God's speaking to them. You know, you may back up and go, what do you mean by that? I've, I've said, well, the Lord told me, and somebody said, was that an audible voice? I said, no, it's much louder than that. I mean, you know, sometimes God speaks to you as louder than somebody just saying it. But Paul believed God. He remembered the purpose that God had given him, that he appealed to Caesar so he could go to Rome. And God says, you're going to go to Rome. You've got to stand before Caesar. I'm going to make you a witness in front of the ruler of the known world at this time. You see, when you've got God's purpose in mind, it'll keep you in the right attitude. An attitude of, hey, God's got this. I don't have to worry about it. It'll keep you... In the right position. I'm just going to stay on this path following God. And it will keep you in the right posture. I don't have to worry. 
I can just hold my head up and keep following God, and I don't have to worry about it. And so Paul, not only did he expect God to do what he said, he did not forget what God had said he was going to do. He remembered God's purpose in his life. And he was able to encourage others because he knew where, he knew where they were going. He knew what God wanted. And so he was able to encourage others to take heart. Thirdly, Paul stepped up when other people stepped away. And this is where we see the utter failure of the two leaders and Paul stepping in. In verses 33 through 38 of chapter 27, in the day, uh, as day was about to dawn, Paul urged them to take some food, saying, Guys, it's been two weeks. It's been 14 days since you even ate anything. You're all hangry. You need a Snickers bar. Eat something. And so they ate something. It says, you've continued to suspense without food. You haven't eaten and you're scared that we're going to wreck. Eat something. It'll give you some strength. And listen what he says. For not a hair is to perish from the head of any one of you. And when he said these things, he took bread. They are in the middle of a storm. They have not eaten in two weeks. They have no hope of survival. And Paul picks up some bread and he prays and says, thanks God for this bread. Can you sit at God's banquet table in the presence of your enemies and break bread with thankfulness? And say, yeah, whatever. <laughs> it's not whatever, really. I'm just trying to portray an attitude. Paul's like, yeah, the wind's blowing. Sure is. You want some bread? Lord, thank you for this bread. Wow, this is cool. In the middle of the storm, we got bread. You want something here? And he just calmly takes over and says, quit worrying about it. And so I, I told you that the, the other guys fail in leadership uh, down there, verse 35. And when he had said these things, took bread, giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it, began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. There were 276 people on the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing everything else into the sea because they needed, they needed to not be weighed down deep into the water. So when others had stepped away, everything the Romans had wanted to do, the captain wanted to do, it turned bad. Paul says, guess what? Best thing we can do is eat some bread and hang on because God's going to get us out of this. And Paul did not panic. Paul did not panic. We see that in verses 39 through the next chapter, verse 6, because Paul goes, through, this is where the shipwreck actually happens. I listened to the guy telling the story. The man that, that uh, pulled the trigger on Osama bin Laden. And now he does motivational speaking to corporations. And he, he gives them principles. And one of the, his big principles is panic kills. That is, that is one of the most profound things you'll ever hear anybody say. I know the Bible doesn't say that exactly. But we see Paul living that out. I, I had two daughters before I had a son. And... I've got good ears. I know they stand up kind of tall, but they, they work pretty well. They used to. I'm getting older. I'm losing a little bit, but, but I can hear things pretty well. And when a little girl is giggling and squealing or excited, I, I can't hear anything. I can't understand that. So when they were really little, I said, if you come to me crying and screaming, I don't know what you're saying. You got to calm down and just tell me. At least twice. There were very big emergencies. I, I think I told you this, but we were at a friend's house in Mississippi. And, and uh, yeah, it was in Mississippi. And, and uh, the, he had a pool in the backyard and our girls were all little. And his daughter had left her glasses by the pool and said, oh, I got to get my glasses. And three little girls, they go running out the door. Oh, you know, they're all excited. 
And they were like 8 to 10, somewhere in that age, maybe up to 12. And all of a sudden, in a few minutes, the back door slid open and Cameron is sitting over there. She was about 10 years old then. She said, Dad, there's a snake out here on the sidewalk. And I jumped off the couch running and my friend is just sitting there. I said, Carl, come on. Did you hear the snake? And he went, oh, and he grabbed the, the fire utensils off, this, off the place where you got a fireplace. And we go running out. Sure enough, there's a copperhead there. And, and so he said, catch its head. And I stuck the shovel down on it. And he beat that thing that you didn't know what it was anymore. <laughs> but later on, he said, I said, man, why did you sit there? He said, she just was so calm. I didn't, I didn't know whether to believe her or not. I said, I told them. If they're yelling, I don't know what they're saying. They have to just say it, and if they say it, I'll believe them. But if they tell me something and it's not true, they're going to be in trouble. <laughs> and she just said it calmly, and sure enough, it was a big old copper. His daughter had stepped over it, and it rose up. And Cameron's older sister said, snake! And she went to jump back and said, don't go back, keep going forward. And said, Cameron, go get dad. So that's how that worked out. But panic kills. You cannot make good decisions in a panic. Now, why would you not panic? Because if you're in a storm in a boat and Jesus is on the boat, how big of a storm does it take to sink that boat? And he stood up and said, peace, be still, quit that. Boom, the storm just stopped. The literal translation of that word means, it says, and the wind and the waves ceased. It means they're going, Whoosh! and Jesus says, stop that. They go, Shh. It just like went to glass immediately. The wind just stopped. And they said, he can command. I mean, it's one thing me go out in the storm and go, stop that. And you know, tomorrow the storm passes. See, I told you I can stop a storm. <laughs> no, no, it just went wham and it was over. And they said, what kind of man can command wind and waves and it happened? And Paul finds himself like those disciples on a boat in the middle of a storm, but he knows God is with him. So why panic? Why panic? Because panic never gets anything done. I, I, maybe I'm belaboring this point. It's because I, I do panic sometimes. But I, I notice that verses 42 to 47, we see that. Uh, they, they get caught on a reef. The boat tears up. The soldier's plan was to kill all the prisoners on board because they'll get killed if the prisoners survive. And Paul told them they would survive. So I guess they believed him. But Paul stopped him and said, jump if you can swim. If you can't swim, grab a piece of wood and jump. And they were brought safely to land. Paul said, quit panicking. Don't kill them. We're all going to survive. Hey, if you can swim, swim for sure. It's right there. If you can't swim, here's a piece of wood for you. Go. And they all made it to shore. Now, whew, we're on shore. The storm goes away next day. What's Paul found doing? Collecting firewood. He's not sitting around telling tales about how he saved everybody. He didn't even take credit for it. He said, God said he'd save everybody, right? You following me? You know, there's some preachers out there who think they can save people. I heard Billy Graham tell the story. He was on an airplane once, and he was sitting down. He sat down, and he said the guy next to him was inebriated. And he said, the guy looked at him, you're Billy Graham. And he said, I knew what was coming next. He said, you saved me away your crusades. And he looked at him and said, well, it must have been me because the Lord certainly didn't save you. <laughs> there are some men who will take credit for what God does. That's a dangerous thing. They'll claim that they got this power, that power. I can do this. I can do that. 
and they get all puffed up. And Paul said, if I'm to glory, in the very first book he ever wrote, Book of Galatians, he said, if I'm going to boast, I'm going to boast in the cross of Jesus Christ. And that's the only thing he would boast about. And so they get to shore, and the natives built them a fire. That was nice. So Paul collected some firewood, and when he put it on there, there was some snake hiding in there, and it bit him on the hand. So he pulls it up, and there's a snake hanging. You ever seen a snake hanging from something? Yeah, I, where I grew up, we have uh, creeks that are brackish water. Brackish is a mix between the salt and the fresh. And it's, uh, and it's all dark because of the leaves in the bottom, the tannin. You can drink that. It'll never go bad. And, uh, and, we, and I had a stringer of fish down there. My uncle had some land on this creek, and I'm fishing. So I picked up the stringer, put the next fish on, and on the bottom was a moccasin hanging from a fish. So I just dropped it and said, whoa, hello. Scared me to death. So I, this story, when I read it, I just can see that moccasin hanging there. And Paul's got these sticks, and he puts them down as he does. They feels the heat of the fire, and it bites his hand. He just shakes it off, like, okay, oh, that's interesting, it's a snake. He shakes it off in the fire. Now, notice the reaction of the people. The people said to, no one, to one another in verse uh, 4, no doubt this guy's a murderer. He escaped the sea, but justice got him now. <laughs> the, and, but when he shook it off into the fire and he suffered no harm... And, and, uh, and they kept waiting for him to fall down dead. And it says, But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. Now, Paul knows he's neither a, a, a murderer nor a god. He's not a sinner, nor is he God. So he didn't listen to his critics, and he didn't listen to people telling him what a great job he was doing. Because he knew both those things were wrong. God was at work, right? A leader knows who to give credit to. And, and if you think you've accomplished anything, there's a saying, you are just a turtle on a fence post. Y'all know what that means? If you're walking down a country lane and you see a box turtle on a fence post, there's one thing you know for certain. He didn't get there by himself. Somebody helped him up. Because the turtle can't get up on top of a fence post. You're just a turtle on a fence post, man. God puts you in that position. So you better give God the glory. You better say, this is the work of God. I, yeah, I know. A snake, big deal. God's got it. Man, I've been stoned to death. I've been beaten to with a, literally an inch of my life. I've been shipwrecked before. I've been beaten before. I've been in prison before. Little snake ain't going to worry me. And he just shakes it off. And so Paul knew who he was. And if you're going to be a leader, you better know who you are. You are not the answer, God's answer to every problem. You are just a tool God can use if you'll let him. I've never heard a mechanic's wrench say, man, I am all nobody else could fix it, but I fixed it. You'd think that wrench was crazy, wouldn't you? No, it was the mechanic using the wrench that fixed the car. Right? You with me? Okay, you get the point. He, but what does Paul do? He uses the opportunity to minister. Look at verse 7 in the last chapter. In the neighborhood of that place, lands belonged to the chief man of the island named uh, Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. But his dad was sick with fever and dysentery. So Paul visited him and prayed, putting his hands on him, healed him. 
And when that took place, the rest of the people on the island had disease and said, hey, we want to be cured too. And they honored us greatly. And when we were about to set sail, they put on board whatever we could carry. What did Paul do? He took an opportunity to minister. When you find yourself in a bad situation, look around. There's somebody near you who needs ministry. And if you know God, you don't have to worry about what happens to you. Because in a bad situation, I die. <laughs> That's just gain for me. I don't have to worry about it. But there's somebody else there that needs to know Christ. There's somebody else there that needs some ministry. They need some help. And that's what Paul does. Now, he gets to Rome and he continues doing that. That's why I read that song lyrics before. Wherever Paul goes, he just keeps talking about Jesus. He gets to Rome. Now, why did he get to Rome? Because the Jewish leaders want to kill him. And he gets to a point where he goes, if I let them let me go, they're going to kill me or try to kill me. If I appeal to Caesar, I didn't break any Roman law. So he appeals to Caesar because he wanted to go to Rome anyway. He says, let's go. And so he goes to Rome. Now, if I were Paul, now if Stuart were in Paul's place, I would not be Paul. But if I were in Paul's place, the last thing I'd want to do is to let the Jewish leaders in Rome know I'm there. Because these are the guys that are going to be talking to the leaders from Jerusalem and they're going to get on their side because they're all going to hang together, right? So what does Paul do? He gets there and he said, goes down to the synagogue and says, hey, get all the leaders together. I'd like to tell you a story. And he says, the leaders in Jerusalem want to kill me. That's why I'm up here. And he starts telling them out of the Old Testament. And they said, we hadn't heard anything about that. Paul said, oh, really? That's interesting. So then he really dies in. In verse uh, 23, when they appointed a day, he came, they came to his lodging in greater numbers. And from morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law and Moses and from the prophets. In verse 24, and some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved and they disagreed amongst themselves. Paul's like, cool, new place. Let's get the leaders to go and tell them about Jesus. And he does. And people got saved. Someone went, he's nuts. We don't believe that. And they go away. But listen, Paul does not let other people's opinions make him forget God. Not only does he use the opportunity to ministry, he's used the opportunity to tell the gospel to people that he knows one day are going to turn and want to kill him. But he says, well, let me get some of them, you know, tell them the gospel. Maybe someone gets saved in the meantime, they'll be good. Because now he's got allies, right? You know the best way to turn your enemy into your friend? Lead them to Jesus. Because now they'll be your brother in Christ. And how can you be mad at a brother in Christ? How can you make an enemy of a brother or sister in Christ? They're not our enemy. Christians have one enemy. What is his name? Thank you. There's not another church that is my enemy. There's not another pastor that's my enemy. There's not another Christian's my enemy. Satan's my enemy, and he's their enemy. Now, they may have forgotten that. They may think I'm their enemy, but I'm not. We're on the same team here, right? We don't all play quarterback. We don't all play lineman. We don't all play whatever position. We got different positions, but we're all on the same team. And Paul keeps preaching the gospel that Jesus says from the uttermost to the from the guttermost to the uttermost. Other people's opinions change his mind. In verse 30 and 31, which we read to start, he lived there two whole years. And the Philippian people are sending money. It says, and he paid for his own expenses. 
and he did, but it was the Philippian church. The book of Philippians, the thank you letter from Rome, from Paul to them. And he welcomed everybody that came, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with boldness, and notice that, with all boldness and without hindrance. The Jews never made it to Rome. They never came up there to prosecute him. Why? It just wasn't worth it to them, I guess. So they never got there and accused him. And eventually Caesar goes, I don't even know why you're here. Go away. And the Bible doesn't record if Paul stood before Caesar what he said. God told him, and Paul stood up before Caesar and said, well, these are what some Jewish people accused me of, but let me tell you why they accused me. And he tells him about Jesus. And in other places, in the book of Romans, Paul says there are Christians in the Praetorian Guard in Caesar's household now. Because Paul got to Rome and he kept preaching Jesus. So a leader never stops doing what is supposed to be done, right? And what Paul was supposed to be doing was talking about Jesus. He expected God to do what God said he would do. He never forgot what God said he was going to do, his purpose in life. He stepped up when others stepped away. He didn't panic when it looked like it was going to fall apart. And Paul knew who he was, a servant of the Most High God, and that's it. Nobody is any more or any less than that. You're either a servant of God or you're not. There's not sometimey Christians. There's not part-time Christians. There's not special Christians. You're either saved or lost. You follow God or you don't follow God. You're his servant or you're his enemy. There's no in-between in any of that. And Paul never forgot who he was. And because of that humility, God used him greatly. Well, what can you do this week? Well, first of all, you ought to listen to God daily in fellowship with Christ through the Holy Spirit, in the Bible, in worship, in prayer. Because let me tell you something. God knows what the plans of your enemy is. Remember, you only got one enemy. You say, you don't know where I go. I mean, I know Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane and prayed, right? Who was in the Garden of Gethsemane? Satan. And if Satan can come in the garden where Jesus himself is praying, friend, I guarantee he can come where you're praying. And Jesus knows where Satan is. He knows where he's going to jump out from. And if you're walking with Jesus, that's a good thing. That'll help you out. So this week, make sure, man, you're in the Word. You're praying. You're seeking God in His will every day. Because how can you know God's purpose if you don't know God's Word? And how can you know of His presence unless you spend some time with Him? Secondly, remember God made you a leader for a purpose. Whether you lead a family, whether you're leading your children, you're at work, man or woman, you, you, you're a leader at work. I, I promise you, you can be a leader without a title. If you didn't get that, let me repeat it. You can be a leader without a title. You do the job that needs to be done. And friend, let me tell you, you'll become more and more of a leader. Because God will promote you. Did you know that? Are y'all listening to me? Y'all hearing that? I, I told you before, silly illustration. My son in high school, his whole goal in life, not really his whole goal in life, but when he was a senior, he wanted to be the captain of the football team. He was faithful. He was there all the time. And he didn't make that. And it devastated him because his best friend was in charge of finding the captains and... He just messed it up, and the way he did it, my son didn't get to do it. And he was broken. I mean, remember, puppy loves real to the puppy, right? 
And so, you know, you and I go, yeah, that's no big deal. Well, it was to him. And I just remember saying, son, let me tell you something. You don't have to have a title to lead. You lead anyway. You act out there at the beginning of the game like you are because they'll pull you back and you'll look dumb. And so he did. And at the end of the year, the coach made him the player of the year because of his consistency and his leadership without a title. Friend, let me tell you something. You don't have to have a title to lead. That's just an illustration. Remember, God made you a leader for a purpose. And there are people watching you whether you know it or not. Thirdly, you can step up, remain calm, and give directions. Crisis reveals a leader. And the leader is the guy that steps up, does what needs to be done, and helps other people do what they need to do. Leadership reveals that. I mean, problems reveal that kind of leadership. And then lastly, I, I got four this week. Take advantage of new opportunities God creates for you. Because it may be falling apart where you work. It may be falling apart at your house or your home. It may be falling apart in your family or with your friends. Somewhere, somehow, someplace, there's chaos. Guess what? God may be stirring it up because he wants you to lead and to show Jesus to those people. In every instance in these last two chapters, on that ship, with that Roman guard, with that captain, with the people on the boat, with the people on the island, with the people in Rome, with the Jewish leaders in Rome, Paul steps up and he talks about Jesus. And he gives them Jesus over and over and over and over. And he didn't see it as a problem, he saw it as an opportunity. And that opportunity was not for him to look good. Well, I told you if you'd have just listened. No, he said, I told you, so listen to me now. God's going to save us. Just please believe me now. I was right before him right now. God is on his throne. Jesus is real. He'll save you. We will trust him and you'll see I'm right. And when they saw he was right, the Bible doesn't record how many of them became Christians, but we know some did. And so take advantage of every opportunity you got. It may be a small one, it may be a big one, but take advantage of it.